I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This week we're joined by Carly Farley. She was our first ever guest and has decided to come back and join us again, this time uh, alongside her little one. This week we'll be discussing Mosiah chapter 29, the last chapter of Mosiah through uh, the first four chapters of Alma. In this lesson we talk about how to be a positive influence in our community, how Mosiah and Alma relinquish their power in order to better serve those around them. We also talk about how to recognize and reject false doctrine, how to help ourselves and our loved ones and those that we care about maintain the straight and narrow path. We hope that you enjoy this lesson and that you can share it with others. So just a quick summary of what's going on here in these chapters. Um, Mosiah relinquishes the throne and he kind of suggests that they have a democracy almost. Uh, not that they're voting on everything, but that they're electing a judge, that the people, the voice of the people or the opinion of the people choose a judge. Um, Alma is for a little while high priest and chief judge, but then there's like too much going on in the church, and I think he kind of recognizes that he might be stretched a little too thin, um, not really being able to dedicate the time he needs to to the gospel. And so he he gives up the being the chief judge, and a guy named Nephi Ha uh, gets the chance to do it, and he goes back to to working solely as the high priest of the church. Um, and then the other story that's in here is the story of Nehor, who he's teaching against the gospel and, and, and against the church. He's confronted, um, what's the guy's name? Um, Gideon. Gideon, yeah. Yeah, Gideon. He's, but he's now he's older in years, right? yeah. He's confronted by him, and he actually is kind of repentant in the end. Which well, I thought he was... kills Gideon, right? Nehor killed. Oh yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he withstood him, and he was a great warrior, and the people loved him. But he was up there in age now, and wasn't yeah. able to withstand his blows or something like that. And the interesting part is that Nehor's impact, like the negative impact of his actions, even though at the very end he kind of recognizes that he was in the wrong, 
the negative impact of his actions lasts for a really long time. And we see that in later chapters in Alma as well. But yeah, that's kind of basic summary of uh, what happens in these chapters and then some pretty good sections here in the lesson. Well, something I found interesting is that um, uh, Mosiah and Alma, they, they institute this system of judges at a time where they didn't need it. They had a righteous king. They were being prosperous. And, and just the insight that they had that it might not always be like this. And I don't think they were pessimistic people, but they were preparing for a time, you know, and, and a lot of it is based on, on their experience with King Noah. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. want, they, you know, how much one evil king could hurt people. And this was very fresh in their minds where they could, um, I don't know. I, I just think it was really uh, smart and smart, insightful. Smart. Yeah, definitely. I also thought it was interesting, too, because, you know, Mosiah didn't have to step down. But him stepping down, I think, shows a lot of humility to just be like, all right, yeah, like, I, I'm the king right now, but things might, al- might not always be this good, like you said, Feely. And him stepping down, I think, would have taken a lot. You think of, you know, um, any ruler, really, and just how much would it take for you to give up all of that, to give up, you know, your palace or, you know, your kingdom, whatever, all the perks that come with being a king. And for him just to give that up, I think, is really... It says a lot about his character. There's a really straightforward question in the manual that it asks us. It it starts with Alma chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, Therefore, if it were possible that Amlesai should gain the voice of the people, he being a wicked man would deprive them of their rights and privileges of the church, for it was his intent to destroy the church of God. And then the manual, it, it asks us, have you noticed religious rights being threatened in your nation or community? What do you learn from the way the Nephites responded to this threat? It's pretty, I mean, the manual, the church is trying to teach us something very specific about religious rights and how important it is to have them and keep them and not to be passive about it. Yeah, I think the the aspect of that story with Amosai that, that really stuck out to me was basically the policy the members of the church had to not persecute those who were not members of the church. And that did not guarantee them that they would not be persecuted against. There was a possibility that they were going to be uh, persecuted against and not retaliate. And I think that that was probably the most important thing. They were probably still in the majority of the people uh, they probably had the ability to overpower anybody who might think or act differently or believe differently than them. And yet they said, you know what, we're not going to persecute or or diminish those that are not members of the church. And that kind of gave uh, the possibility for someone like Amlesai to rise, right? That you run that risk when you say we're going to allow everyone equal footing. You run the risk that someone who is contrary to the right or contrary to what you believe will have an opportunity to take power. But it's interesting because you go way back to when Mosiah did relinquish that power 
in his in Mosiah twenty nine twenty six, he kind of says, "It is not common that the voice of the people desire anything contrary to that which is right, but it is common for the lesser part of the people to desire that which is not right." Therefore, this shall ye observe that ye make it your law to do your business by the voice of the people. This is pretty fascinating to me, honestly. The fact that that we we look at that as a very modern thought, but this is happening back in Book of Mormon times, that he's saying generally the majority is going to choose the right thing, and that's why we should go with the voice of the people. Well, it also sparked a thought in me that even even today with all of the political tumult that's going on it's typically the minority or the smaller voice that is reaching to extremes and most people are pretty have pretty good common sense and are pretty agreeable and then the manual it kind of tells us uh, on the on the bottom part of this section it says how can you like the Nephites make sure that your voice is included in the voice of the people Perhaps you live in a place where the voice of the people has limited influence on the government. If so, are there other ways you can be a positive influence in your, in your community? And this is all under the, the section is of how can I be a positive influence in my community? And so it's kind of saying that we, we have a responsibility to, to voice our opinion and voice our beliefs and our testimony to influence our communities and not let and be part of the good voice of the people and not let it be overwhelmed by the negative part of the voice of the people. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think also the other part of it too is that um, it talks about coming together, like how they came together as a group. I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, you know, like my opinion doesn't really matter or other people will stand up for what I believe in. Or, you know, they'll gather together and, and they'll take care of things. But really, but what it comes down to is that our church leaders always ask us to gather together and to stand up for what we believe in and to do the things that other people wouldn't do, you know, to say, you know, this is maybe not a popular opinion, but this is what I believe. And, um, you know, gathering together with other members of the church so that our religious freedoms are protected. And as I was listening to this lesson, that question came back up is um, kind of like what you said, what what it says here in the end, what do you learn from the ways the Nephi responded to this threat? And I thought in our day, it's very common for the the voice of the people or the popular thing to sound like the bad thing. And what this is kind of telling us is that's not always the case. It's just the majority are not speaking or are not voicing that and so that's that's sometimes we feel like we're alone uh when we want to voice uh, uh our thoughts or we want to voice a, a good positive opinion but most of the time it just takes one person to do it and then another one will step up and follow sometimes you need to be a leader in and you won't always be alone because i find that i've found individuals who believe similar things that I believe all over the place, you know, and you just have to, you just have to speak up and, and find each other. Right. Yeah. I think it's really important that, that we recognize um, 
in order to be contributing in a good way, we have to be involved. And the philosopher Plato, there's a quote from him. He said, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And his point is that, you know, you sit around and you say, I don't, I don't like the way things are going. That guy's an idiot or that guy's so dumb or that guy is so misleading or whatever. But it's like, how involved are you? That man or that woman is involved. And if you don't have a, if you don't like what's happening, um, you can only blame yourself for not being more involved. And that's, it goes hand in hand really with what Mosiah is saying. Most people will desire to do the right thing. But if you aren't participating, then you're not contributing to that number of most people. Suddenly, if everyone's just kind of like, oh, well, it'll work itself out, and you're not involved in, in contributing to that, in contributing to that, then maybe it's not the majority of people who want to do right anymore. Maybe that gets diminished. Yeah, true, true yeah, that. I, I definitely agree as well. I think that that is the problem, right? If we don't stand up for what we believe in, then our voice isn't going to be heard, and then our rights do get infringed upon. And that next part is interesting, where it says, I can recognize and reject Paul's doctrine. And it says, although Nehor eventually confessed that what he taught was false, his teachings continued to influence the Nephites for many years. And when I read this, I thought of, you know how people say rude things, and then they say, oh, just kidding. You know? Um, that's the example I thought of, because I, I thought, you know, our actions can do harm even if we don't intend them to be hurtful, you know? So it's very important to be thoughtful. And even though Nihor took everything back, he had already done harm. So it's much better to prevent and to, it's almost like, if you watch scary movies, well, I'm not a big fan of scary, scary movies because they freak me out. <laughs> but if you never watch them, you never have to worry about it, right? But if that's all you watch, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't sleep at night. I'm freaked out. The, the garbage can made a weird noise. I'm shooting through my window. You know, you're just going crazy. And I think it's kind of the same thing with these false doctrines. Sometimes there was an, something my mission president he told us he he said if you if you worry about he he, he kind of talked if you worry about the little things you never have to worry about the big things and he would always use this example or this imagery of of being tightly tightly connected to the pull to like a stake of obedience to be staying tightly connected almost like the iron rod keeping keeping a firm grip you don't have to go too far because I, I've known many people who they just people who start sharing their false doctrine or their ideas, they get carried away in one little thing and then it leads to another. And then before you know it, you you don't know which way is up or down anymore. Yeah, I think too the other part of that is that when Nihor taught those false doctrines, they did stay for a long time, you know, and they impacted people for a long time. That's where we get Amlesai later on, is that he, you know, is picking up after Nihor, basically, and he starts to do the same thing that Nihor did. Yeah, and really, it's it's a 
very common thing. The easiest way to mislead people and mislead a lot of people and really get them to be zealously following you is to give them a little something that's plausibly true or that even is founded in truth, Mm -hmm. right? The basics are true about this and then just twist it a half turn and there's some truth to it and that will resonate. And then the rest of it is just whatever you want them to do. And Mm -hmm. it it can be really detrimental because we see that in, in places today and people in the gospel who take certain aspects of the gospel, they give it a half turn. People feel like, well, that could be true. And then it almost feels like, oh, I've got access to secret information or something that's never been heard before that's finally coming to light. And now I know, you know, stuff in the media that you see or in social media even that seems like, why would this person randomly know more than anyone else? You know? Yeah, you see that a lot with like um, fear, almost like fear mongering and kind of conspiracy theories and things like that. And I think it plays on the fact that you don't want to be the one that's left out. You mm-hmm. don't want to be the one that doesn't know something. You don't want to be the one that, you know, it, it's almost, it, in a way, it's kind of like, um, you know, like a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Know, they'll say, oh, you know, this, but but this car has seven more airbags than the other one. You know, and you, and you value your family's safety, right? And then they make it about, something of course you value your family's safety the other thing (laughs) i noticed about that when someone follows somebody who gives them like a half truth and then gives them some you know false doctrine along with it or something like that um a lot of times things that we don't know take a lot of faith for us to be able to get past or for us to be able to um, be okay with and come to terms with but if, if we don't know something you know but if someone comes along and says, oh, well, I have the answer to that, it takes faith out of that. And so sometimes it can feel more comfortable to say, yeah, you know, maybe that's not exactly what I was thinking it would be. But at the same time, it fills that void or it fills that um, confusion or, you know, it fills in the blank, basically. And so people people will fall for that. And it's really, really sad to see. And it's really hard because that's how people end up losing their faith or, or following false doctrines or, you know, doing those kinds of things. And it's because um, it really does take faith to, to trust in things that we don't know. Um, and God said that we wouldn't know everything, but that's why we have to have faith. Or even worse, they think that they're, they are exercising their faith. Yeah. They think that they're saying, no, I understand that this sounds a little wonky. I understand that this guy is a little bit out there but i'm just i'm just using all the faith that i can muster because this must be true and i know and it's Mm -hmm. like uh you know that's even harder to get around because they think they're using the faith that they're being asked by god but Mm -hmm. they're putting it in the wrong things i think sometimes too there was i think sometimes when you've invested so much in someone or something and and it and you find out that it's false, it's really hard for people to just let it go. They'll double down on it. They'll find a way of talking themselves into, it's got to be true because I'm not that big a fool to fall Mm -hmm. into this. And there's been several studies done on that when it came to uh, certain cults and things that uh, predicted the end of the world via a certain date and people would sell their homes and 
and do all these things. And then that date would come and then they would find a way to reconcile all their sacrifice and to continue to believe. And, and I think it's gotta be, we have to understand that people will take advantage of you at some point. And it's not always your fault. Sometimes it's the agency of others. You know, we had, especially in the early, early history of the church, we had many people that deceived the saints and deceived Joseph. And, you know, and he was a prophet, but also he was learning and he gave people the benefit of the doubt. And, and that cost, you know, them, it was their agency, you know, like uh, W.W. Phelps and, and, and Martin Harris and other individuals that ultimately kind of came back in, in like in chapter one, verse 15, they kind of like uh, Nehor did. He said, uh, he acknowledged between the heavens and the earth that he had taught to the people as contrary to the word of God. And then he suffered an ignominious death, which I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> it's but not then, good. <laughs> yeah. But then in 16, it says, nevertheless, this did not put an end to the spreading of priestcrafts through the land. For there were many who loved the vain things of the world, and they went forth preaching false doctrines. And this they did for the sake of riches and honor. And so, you know, if we translate that to our day, they, you know, someone does something and they fall away and they lead people and then they say, oh, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'd like to come back to the fold, or I'd like to seek forgiveness. Well, that may continue to have an effect because it's almost like a, it's like an idea that becomes a virus to people that, oh, I can get gain or I can get honor. And in our day, honor is probably a little different. It could be um, Facebook likes. It could be social media prestige, you know, um, and riches. Isn't, it's not always having to do with money. It could be influence and, and, and people look up to me and or... I think that that really goes into that next section that pride can cause us to fail in our progress. And really, it comes down to pride. When you're talking about doubling down, you'd think that if you presented somebody with overwhelming evidence that what they're thinking or doing isn't right, that they would say, oh, gosh, I've been I was wrong. I've been misled. And sometimes that does happen. Uh, but like you said, that sometimes people will double down. I think that's kind of what's happening with these followers of Nihor is why does the priestcrafts continue? Because it's really easy for those that are being who are the misleaders to say they're just going after us. They just want to tear us down because they're jealous. Yeah. Instead of just admitting that they that they've done something or they've been following something that may not be uh, correct, people tend to want to defend themselves and defend them and not humble themselves. And I think that's why the Lord always says, you know, first, before before a big change, there has to be humility. You have to make yourself as a little child, humble, meek, and submissive, right? Well, they probably don't think that, I mean, maybe they do know that they're doing the wrong thing, but I mean, what if they didn't know that they were doing the wrong thing? What if they felt like, well, you know, we're doing the right thing. And so God's giving us all of this prosperity and giving us, you know, the status and all of these things because we're doing what's right. And so, you know, if, if they thought that and they, that's what the people thought that were following them. Well, of course, of course, we're going to put this person who 
you know, we revere and who we respect up on a pedestal and we're going to, you know, support them and take care of them and give them things. And, you know, because they're, they're, you know, high officials and they're important people and, and that kind of thing. But I think that's why pride is so dangerous is because sometimes people think like can get into this trap where you don't actually see it as a prideful thing. You just see it as something that you deserve or which I guess is pride, right? <laughs> I like um, in chapter 4, verse 15, where it says, um, Alma, this is where he notices that he can no longer be chief judge. Yeah. And and um, and he says, and it came to pass that Alma, having seen the afflictions of the humble followers of God and the persecutions which were heaped upon them by the remainder of the people and seeing all their inequality, began to be very sorrowful. Nevertheless, the spirit of the Lord did not fail him. And I like that last sentence, you know, nevertheless, the spirit of the Lord did not fail him. It's, I don't know, it's it's really nice. Um, I don't know, I just like it because it kind of shows that even in a bad situation, even when when things weren't going right, he could still be doing the right thing. His heart was in the right place and the Lord was with him. And then he, and then he goes and, he selects a wise man among the elders of the church um, and gave him power according to the people. So he makes him the chief judge, right? Nephi, huh? And then he devotes himself to the ministry. He devotes himself. He kind of says, I, I like how pro a lot of these great people, they're very proactive. They don't just sit back and say, oh, si Dios quiere. If God wills it. Yeah. Uh, let God fix it. They said, no, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do the best I can. I think there's hope. I think I can make a difference. And they ultimately do make a lot of difference. You know. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting, too, the parallel there <clears throat> between Alma and Mosiah. You know, they both are in these positions of power and how they both step down. And then in contrast, what you see with, with the priests, you know, and how they... They just want to stay in power and they're just trying to hold on to that no matter what it takes. And I think a lot of the wars, I mean, we read that a lot of the wars happen because of this, you know, because of people seeking power and wanting to maintain and obtain more power. Yeah. And you think about callings in the church. Um, it's not about obtaining power and, and maintaining that, right? There's no election. There's no campaigning. There's no, you don't campaign to become stake president, right? And then when you, if you become stake president, there's basically, you know, five, six, seven, whatever many years, and then you're done. And there's no way that you can say, but if I turn this and if I change this rule, I can stake, stay stake president longer. No, no, that's not how yeah. that works. Yeah. I mean, you step down to something else. You step down to, I mean, not step down, but you, you, you leave being a stake president and maybe you go become the choir director or yeah. you become a nursery leader or, you know, young men's leader, or maybe you don't have a calling for a while. And the thing that's so beautiful about the church is that when people leave a calling that there's just understanding, you know, that no calling is greater than another and that whether you're serving in the library or you're on the stand, the Lord asks all of us to do what he needs us to do. And one is not better than the other. 
I think Elder Uttar did a talk on that. And he, I think he called it stepping forward. That the state or the bishop that that gives release and the and the other person that's called to be bishop, they they both step forward, meaning that they are both advancing. They're both continuing to grow. That these positions aren't they they aren't although they have different responsibilities. They're equal. They're important, and uh, and you can be a servant and pleasing God just as much. Uh, ensuring the programs are just right than being elder scorn president over a bunch of elders. And, you know, it's all the same, right? There's one thing I did like a lot, uh, a verse in, in chapter 4, verse 19. And it, it kind of speaks to like Alma's ferocity and, and his ability to not write people off even though people that were being wicked in a way, right? And it says, And this he did, that he himself might go forth among the people, or among the people of Nephi, that he might preach the word of God unto them, to stir them up in remembrance of their duty, that they might pull down by the word of God all the pride and craftiness and all the contentions which were among the people, seeing no way that he might reclaim them save it were by bearing down in pure testimony against them. And it it's kind of, he wasn't out there to condemn them. I think he was trying to stir up any remaining good feelings in their heart of what they used to know and what they know to be right and how they need to treat each other. And you see this amongst everyone nowadays. There is rare, you know, it... Almost everyone loves their children. Almost everyone loves their family, you know? And you can have these various contrasting political viewpoints and ways of looking at things, but it's almost like you can go to a place where you can talk to people about what really matters and you can connect with them. And that's, I think, what Alma, you know, the way he he's like, I'm going to go down there. I mean, these words are pretty descriptive, you know? seeing no way that they might reclaim them, save it by bearing down in pure testimony against them. You know, that's just pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably what he needs to be in order to get through the people. But later on, we find out that, I think it's a few chapters, it tells us, you know, that the word had more power than the sword. The ability, it, it, it changed people and. Well, it says that he did he did this with pure testimony. And my question is what what does that mean? What is a pure testimony and why is it why is that so powerful to change people? Yeah, I think I think a pure testimony could just I mean it could mean a bunch of different things, right? But to me, I think a pure testimony means that you're putting God's will before your own. You're putting the needs of others before yourself, and you're doing what Christ would do. And I think that that takes a lot um, of what we've been talking about this whole time, right? It takes more and more humility. All of this stuff leads us to trying to be more humble because that's how Christ was. And we're trying to become more like him so that we can follow him and return to live with our Heavenly Father someday. It's kind of like I think of the word uh, charity, uh, the pure love of Christ. And if you're going to correct someone and you don't have 
charity and you're not doing it without alternative motives. You're not doing it just because they've upset you and you want to just tear them a new one, right? Um, but if you're doing it because you honestly feel like they can improve, they can change, and you want them to, and you really want them to feel the happiness that you feel from the gospel and from repentance, then I think your approach will be good, and it will be a good experience. I mean, it's still up to them, but it's far better than, you know, I just see a lot of, especially online in comments when there's articles or, or someone's caught doing something bad or somebody makes a mistake, very quickly do we write people off. We have like this, and, and we like to show off how quickly we will condemn someone and write something off because that shows almost in our mind how inversely we are opposed to that action. But we haven't gotten very good at hating the sin Condemning the sin and not the sinner, right? And that to some mm -hmm. of us, you know, forgiveness doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. And forgiveness also doesn't mean that you trust the person again. But you you allow them to change and you, you know, I, I think sometimes I, I would think after all, everything these people have gone through, you brought, you know, you had the people... Mosiah's people from Sarahamla, you had Kim Ling Hai and his people and Alma and his people, and they all came together and they were all humbled and they all rejoiced. And then they started to prosper. And then this pride and this uh, priestcraft started moving in. After all you've been to, I'm sure there were a lot of hurt feelings. I'm sure there were people who had gone, been together, had trusted each other and now some were caught up in pride, some were caught up in this. And it's kind of like that in our society. We we have things that happen and who you thought would act a certain way acts the wrong way, or you act the wrong way, but you won't admit it. And we hurt each other's feelings. And and we just need to understand that that I don't I don't know that we that we're disciples of Christ, that we have to be the example, that maybe we're the first ones that need to go apologize. And if they just say, I don't care, I'm not gonna forgive you, that we can at least move on and, yeah. and be and be unburdened, you know. There's a a scripture in Alma four, it's verses ten and eleven. And thus ended the eighth year of the reign of the judges, and the wickedness of the church was a great stumbling block to those who did not belong to the church. And thus the church began to fail in its progress. And it came to pass that at the commencement of the ninth year, Alma saw the wickedness of the church, and he saw also that the example of the church began to lead those who were unbelievers on from one piece of iniquity to another, thus bringing destruction of the people. Uh, the key word there being that the church was being was a great stumbling block to those who did not belong to the church. We always think of it like if we're in the church, we need to endure to the end. We need to stay active and stay involved and, and stay following the commandments. But I think especially in places, well, it, I don't think it matters where you live. Because I could say, well, in a place where the church is the majority— we have this tremendous responsibility to be an example and to not impede those who aren't a member. But that's still the same case in places where you are maybe the only member in the city or in the area. 
your example means everything and what you contribute means everything. And I just found it interesting that he saw that the church itself, the people were the ones that were almost giving license to non-members to do iniquity, right? Well, if the people who are supposedly so righteous are doing this stuff, then it must be okay. And they were leading them from one iniquity to another. The, the Sunday school manual asked the question, uh, how can we avoid being a stumbling block to those who do not belong to the church? And I think that really what it is is not only trying your best for yourself, but also recognizing that people watch you. And if they know that you're a member of the church or not, they see how you act and what you do. And what you don't want is for someone to say, Oh yeah, my friend Daniel, he's a member of, of your church, but he he doesn't do that, or he drinks, or he does this or that, or he's just a, I don't know. You you want to be a reason why people might be like, oh, that's why you're like that, you know, instead of the other way around. Does with, that make sense? With with some of my friends who are not members and are pretty opposed to religious religiousness any kind of religion <laughs> it almost always comes back to they 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 experience or be held one great act of hypocrisy mm. um and they couldn't get past it and not i'm not saying that they should or, or it's not their fault but but it's almost like oh this and this or this religion espouses this but then they do this sort of this and and that's one thing that we all need to realize is that people aren't perfect. There, there's, there's bad cops. There's good cops. There's good police officers. Bad, you know, there's good firefighters, bad firefighters. There's good teachers, bad teachers. There's good doctors, bad doctors. You know, there's good everything. There, there's going to be good and bad of everything. It doesn't mean everybody's like that. But also, what something we can do ourselves is, it's much easier to just stay humble. And stay not, this is going to sound really cliche, but not be judgmental. If we're out there judging others and kind of standing on our ramiumptum, we're so, we're so blessed. We're so happy that we have this and we're so grateful that we have the truth. And I feel so bad for those who don't. And then we go make mistakes. We create that a greater contrast in that cycle of hypocrisy that people can but if we just we're just nice to everybody and forgive people in our kind it won't come across as such a great hypocrisy when we ourselves stumble and i hope that makes sense i'm not trying to make license to say that we're all gonna make mistakes but but it's true we're all gonna make mistakes we all have our feelings and and when we start measuring my mistake is less than your mistake and my sins are less than your sin. We're in different playing fields, you know. Uh, the sins of someone who hasn't made the covenants we've covenant may not matter as much as the sin, the small sins you make when you know better. Yeah. In the last section, Make Your Influence Felt, there's a quote in the, in the Sunday School manual of Come Follow Me. Um, 
It's talking, it says, soon after Sister Bell S. Spafford was called the Relief Society General President in 1945, Relief Society leaders were invited to attend a meeting of a prominent National Women's Council. Relief Society general leaders had been members of this council for many years, but they felt they had recently been treated poorly by the council. After discussion with her counselors, Sister Spafford recommended to President George Albert Smith, the president of the church, that the Relief Society should should terminate its membership in the council. As they discussed the recommendation, Sister Spafford said, you know, President Smith, we don't get anything from this council. She later recounted, the president looked at me with surprise. He said, Sister Spafford, do you always think in terms of what you get? Don't you think it's well, it is well at times to think in terms of what you have to give? I believe, he continued, that Mormon women have something to give to the women of the world and that they may also learn from them. Rather than have you terminate your membership, I suggest you take several of your ablest board members and go back to this meeting. Then he said with emphasis, make your influence felt. Sister Spafford obeyed his counsel. She served for many years on the council and was eventually elected as one of its leaders. I think that's really relevant to all of us. And I think that we don't have to be on some national council or board in order to, to be like that. If you think about this short little blip of time that we have on this earth, um, in the grand spectrum of things, it's really short. You think about how fast things go by, how many years have passed, and you think, okay, what's my legacy? What am I going to be remembered for? What do I want people to look back on my life and say, this is what Daniel was about? Uh, make your influence felt is not something you do in one big giant gesture. It's not something you do to, you know, I don't know just to get notoriety it's something that you're consistent about and it it doesn't have to be on a national scale it doesn't have to be a big huge thing it can be for one person even if it's just for your neighbor if you change their life or your children or your your wife or your husband make your influence felt extends to all of that like have a have a reason why why you get up in the morning and make it that I want to be a positive influence on the world around me. Yeah. That reminded me a lot of uh, just going to church. How many of us think, Oh, I didn't get anything out of that meeting or I didn't get anything out of sacrament meeting today or testimony meeting was oh, it just a travel log over and over. And it's like, well, then you get up. Did you go share, give something it's not always, you know, taking, you know, like, what do we get out of Sunday school? It's like, what do you also give to Sunday school? You know, give yeah. to others, share. Yeah, I think, I think that that does happen a lot when, when somebody will, you know, go to church and they're like, you know, I'll give this a shot. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go back. I want to get back into these things and they go and someone offends them and it just totally turns them off to the church. You know, and it really, it really negatively affects people. I think of, of friends that I've had that, you know, have gone to seminary or gone to singles ward or um, gone to church and they've encountered somebody who said something that just, just really put them off and just really said, you know, just really harmed their, their feelings or um, their vision of the church. 
because a lot of people who aren't members of the church say, okay, well, you're a member of the church. You should be held to this standard. Um, and it's hard. It's hard if, if you're not a member of the church or even as a member of the church, you know, to say members of the church aren't perfect. Um, but we, we definitely aren't. And we all make mistakes and we say dumb things occasionally or all the time or, you know, and we're trying, we're trying our best. And I think that's the, the most important thing is if, if we have, if we go to a meeting and we say we got nothing out of this, then it really is on us. Um, the Lord doesn't say like, just coast through life and you're going to make it, you know, it's all about the effort that we put in um, and what we put in, we, we get back out. And I think it's in, let me look up the scripture really quick. I think it's in Alma 4, but I'm not positive. The, um, at the end of this section that we've been talking about, it talks about the Savior and how, you know, they go to the, the door and he says, I never knew you. Um, I think that that really relates to this when it's, it's really, you know, did you just go and sit through every single meeting that you had? Or did you go and participate and contribute and learn together? Because it might not be that, you're the one who's supposed to get something out of this lesson today. Maybe what you're supposed to get out of this lesson is that um, you were able to talk through something that you had in mind and that helped somebody else. It might not have been like, oh, like because I had this experience and I'm sharing it right now, that's really like a testimony builder, though it can be. Um, I think a lot of times it's, I shared this, this experience that I had because it relates to the topic and then Daniel heard it, you know, and Daniel goes home and says, wow, you know, what Carly said really resonated with me and it really, it helped build my testimony today. And, you know, that's going to help me get through this week. I think sometimes that's, that's all it is, you know, and then the next week you'll go back and Feely will make a comment and be like, you know, share some amazing experience that he had. And then I go home and I say, wow, that really helped build my testimony. And I think that's the importance of gathering together as a group. And I think that's what we've really missed right now while everyone's been self-isolating and staying home is that we don't have that opportunity to just feed off of each other's testimonies and strengthen each other. Um, it's really that we have to kind of strengthen ourselves within our families or individually. I thought about, we're all disciples of Jesus Christ. The one individual in history that has been the most influential person with a pretty short lifespan, uh, 33, 34 years, I believe. And not all of that was his ministry in a very small geographical area and his influence and his impact every you know thousands of years later we're still talking about it right and um we're asked to we have committed to follow an individual who's been the most influential person in the world you know and aka the savior of the world right <laughs> how are we not supposed to be influential in our spheres in our environment in our community in our lessons the Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow, and in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength 
Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.